Welcome to The Connector, where we connect North Carolina to ideas and North Carolinians to each other. This podcast series is from the Institute for Emerging Issues at North Carolina State University. And now to the conversation. Hello, everyone. My name is Sarah Linker Hall with the Institute for Emerging Issues at NC State University. Our upcoming Emerging Issues Forum, Talent First Economics, will bring together leaders from across sectors, regions, and perspectives to talk about how we can better engage North Carolina's workforce by putting the needs of our talent, the workers themselves, first. Today with me, I am very excited to introduce Philip Cooper, who is currently serving as practitioner in residence here at IEI and is also the workforce equity advocate with the Land of Sky Regional Council in Asheville. He is known to most people across the state and nation as change agent Philip Cooper, and we're just so glad that you could be with us. You've also brought a guest. So, Philip, I'm going to turn it over to you um, here to talk about um, putting talent first. And we know that there are many different um, actions that we all can collectively be taking to help connect underrepresented workers and better engage them in the workforce. We know there's state policy. We know there are things that we can be doing at the systems level and as part of our um, support and wraparound services. But we also know that employers play a critical role in that. And so that's why I'm so glad that you could be with us um, today um, with your guest, Daniel. So, Philip, I'm going to turn it over to you. Thank you, uh, Sarah, for the kind word. Um, But yeah, man, and also glad you used the F-bomb. You used the F-bomb. You said friend. When you said that I brought a friend, that was the appropriate title to give uh, Daniel, considering the partnering we've done over the years with uh, equitable hiring. And and Daniel's with East Fort Potter. I'll let you go ahead and introduce yourself, my brother. Yeah, I'm Daniel Vuno. I've been working with East Fort Pottery for about four years now, uh, working with Philip for um, just about a majority of that time as well. Um, joining East Fort for me was um, certainly kind of a values-based decision. And I think that uh, it shows up in the work we're doing and how we partner with folks like Philip. So happy to be here. Tell them a little bit about what y'all make at East Fork Pottery. <laughs> at East Fork Pottery, we make uh, beautiful uh, ceramic tableware, um, start to finish, uh, in spread across two different facilities right here in Asheville. Um, over the years, we've grown from about uh, four years ago, about 30 folks to 120. So um, a company that's kind of grown pretty quickly, uh, making a really, really beautiful tableware product, focusing on um, food and bringing people together. So those are really kind of the key tenets of, of what we do. And East Fork Pottery, you know, is has been uh, the model. Like if there is a model that I would want to point to um, over the years, we, we've worked with second chance hiring. We work with you know, uh, people from underrepresented populations, um, opportunity youth, which are 16 to 24 year olds who are not working or going to school. We've basically uh, uh, tapped into all those populations who what I call the underdog. You want to share about any of those uh, successes that that we've touched over the years that were folks I referred to you all that were coming out of the prison system? Yeah, uh, absolutely. So um, I first want to say, I just don't think a whole lot of employers realize that this is kind of a uh, talent stream that really can even be tapped into. But um, uh, I think it just takes uh, folks in hiring, the hiring managers um, to uh, to have a little bit of understanding um, that uh giving people a chance doesn't mean they have to be ready from the moment of interview. I think a great example of that is... Um, 
we have an employee who, uh, if you're going to sit there and make a decision straight off of how did this person interview one-on-one in a small conference room, um, you know, you would say that the interview did not go well. Um, but then you take, we went out onto the production floor and um, you can start to notice, are people paying attention? Are they asking questions? Are they really excited about the process? And uh, if you're open-minded um, and ready to to see someone's skills and talents come out in those questions, um, it happened where the interview started off poor. And by the time we're out on the production floor, um, the interview was going amazing. And the person uh, just was displaying such excitement and curiosity that it was obvious that they were um, ready to join a manufacturing team. And uh, again, fast forward a couple of years later, and uh, they're a person who the sky is the limit for them in our organization. And in fact, they're usually turning us down when we're kind of asking, hey, you want to take on a bigger role, some more responsibility? And a lot of the time, the answer we get is, I'm very happy and comfortable with what I'm doing. I love my job, and I'm, I'm right, at the, right at the responsibility level I want to be. Um, and it was a great lesson for me and and just getting the chance to see that not everybody has had job experiences or interview experiences to sit down in that kind of formal one-on-one environment. Um, but when you, when you give the right situation um, for people to show what skills they can bring that they absolutely can. And um, it, was a, it was a super learning experience for me to see how successful this person was um, despite what was maybe kind of not um, the best first um, first impression. So that one um, was a was an awesome moment for me. Um, yeah, I think about it a lot. And that's that's powerful too, because that's even an, an innovative approach to interviewing. And when we say you know talent first, economics, we're looking at the person. We're looking at the whole person, you know, and even the the culture of a, of a company, right? And I like to talk about y'all being a second chance employer because like I can remember folks who I would refer there and I let them know on the way there, like, hey, there's other people like you that work there. So you're not the only person with a background that's going to work there. So don't don't feel like you're the oddball. Don't feel like you're the black sheep because they are all about providing second chances at uh, at East Fort Pottery. Do you see lived experience playing a role in keeping the culture, uh, the culture going strong the way you guys had intended to? Oh, I think I think absolutely. Um as you said, it kind of, um, it's creating a little bit more of a, of a, of a safety net. So folks aren't feeling like they're the only one. I mean, if you were only person in the whole organization, um, hired from, um, from a second chance opportunity or, or from a referral from someone like Philip, you, yeah, you, you definitely could probably feel pretty lonely. Uh, so I, I definitely would recommend to any employers that are interested in, in taking on this kind of a mission, um, to some extent, more is better, um, and and bringing in a, a network of folks um, so that they do have uh, other people that they can they can bounce their feelings off of, um, other people they can either mentor or at least just feel that they have some community with is um, is is pretty powerful. Um, I think that's part of why it's successful right now is that um, nobody was alone, um, yeah. and uh, that would have been pretty intimidating, especially in our. Uh, younger days when we were a much smaller business um, and more of the people kind of knew each other or were from the same network, uh, I think that that would have been more of a challenge. But uh, bringing multiple folks at once, I think, is is key. 
And even what you mentioned in like when you were a smaller company before, like how you all knew each other, you know, that's a major part of it. Like when you think about talent first economics, we have to think about the culture of an organization and what those demographics are like. Um, well, what about representation there, man? What how, what what's your take on the representation you have? There are people being represented from different populations at East Fork at this point in time. It just takes it just takes effort all day long to 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 do that and to commit to it. But um, as you look around our organization now, I think it's it's really showing up and it's and it's nice to see because um, it could be uh, very different and just um, all folks in the same interest or in the same community and and that's really not what we have now and it's much better for it. And you know, in that same vein, I'm I'm wondering like, are there are there some challenges that you that you feel that employers perceive, right? Real or perceive some challenges uh, that that they have when they start doing inclusive hiring, like on the front end, what challenges do you think they perceive? Yeah, I, I think the, 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 probably the main faulty perception is, is really around um, skill level and competency. Uh, I think that folks really underappreciate what people are capable of. Um, just because somebody hasn't been able to show through a resume that they've had um, jobs at these places for this like certain amount of time really says nothing about a person's actual ability or skill set when given the chance and given the opportunity. Um, and I think what a lot of employers will find if they start um, taking um, a second chance hiring pathway uh, is that... Um, when people don't have a history on paper, you just really don't know what they can do. And uh, that almost <laughs> that people are capable, people want to provide for themselves and their family, people want stability. And if you are a good employer with a good job and people feel that they will absolutely um, show up with the skills. Um, Eugenia, I'm just so glad that you said that and talked really big picture, you know, about but what what it means to work and what having that, you know, stable, good job means for, for a family. Um, so I appreciate that. You know, I wanted to go back and ask how when when you are when you are hiring someone who does not have the the, the perfect resume writing doesn't have the skills on paper that translate just so beautifully to to exactly what what you know you need how has that um how have you and your leadership team adjusted how you do things like posting job descriptions and reviewing resumes and the interview process can you say a little bit about how you've had to adapt that so that some of those folks don't don't fall through the cracks mm-hmm. well I think key in that is working with a partner um I with again with someone like like a Philip Cooper or any organization that's doing this type of work because um, if we're only going to sit and let's say look at a stack of resumes but we don't know context behind them or uh, or aren't making the intention to to do this type of hiring uh, you know quite simply a lot of those will just get overlooked because they're 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 not going to be noticed um, and what working with a, a talent partner does is. Uh, it 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 brings that notice forward that otherwise might not happen if it's just a piece of paper. Um, and we're we're really fortunate, I think, in the type of job descriptions that that we have, at least in in the area that I'm responsible for hiring for in our manufacturing, is um, is that they're trainable. They're trainable skills. Um, we have the instruction sets that people need to follow. We have the experienced people to shadow people through the process. 
and to train them. And very often we also are kind of working in teams or, or groups of teams. So we, we are not dropping folks off saying you're by yourself, learn this thing on your own. Uh, you don't have support to do it. Um, and in that kind of environment, um, everybody is, is capable of coming to the table. I love that. And that type of a supportive team environment, everybody is capable of coming to the table. I love that. I love it. What services would you say are the most helpful when you're thinking about working with a referral partner? I think that uh, this is something that Philip and I have talked about a lot and that, you know, he's done a lot of educating me on is, is, uh, is kind of this idea of, of uh, uh, the benefits cliff that can, that can happen um, for, um, for folks, um, at least that entered our workforce at, at, the, at, the, at, at our wages. Um, it often um, made it more challenging in the beginning um, financially um, as some of the services that they previously qualified for dropped off. So having somebody who uh, can kind of provide what Philip will call um, wrap wraparound services to to help talk about housing, um, help talk about um, some there's sometimes financial savings opportunities, um, programs for people to kind of save towards their housing or save towards the future payment of a house. Um, it, those things are sometimes the biggest struggle some of our employees had who who are love the job, show up great, um, are are really excited to be at East Fork. Um, and then they they hit this this uncomfortable financial hurdle that that ideally would be temporary with longer term employment at East Fork, but um, was really something to struggle through. And Phil might be able to talk more about that. But people who can help you through that might know what other programs exist because I'm 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 just a person who works in a factory. I don't I don't know about all, all sorts of social services that Asheville might have. And so people that can guide your employees into that is really helpful. Yeah, that that is the major key, and and with our uh, talent first economics task force, we had you 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 would be amazed at the consistency that you heard from each work group when they talked about the role that lived experience played in resource navigation, right? And so you have these folks who are familiar with programs that can help you with driver's license restoration, or you have these programs that can help you with you know getting that uh uh. uh know that application in the Habitat for Humanity even. If you don't know what the benefits cliff is, it's whenever a a family uh, uh, makes a certain, goes over a certain amount of money and it makes them lose a certain benefit, whether it be food stamps, rental subsidy, uh, Medicaid, uh, childcare vouchers, and they lose them like altogether. There's no like tapering off, but they just fall off the cliff. And so we had a person we were working with at East Fork continue to up their salaries <laughs> and this young lady hit that cliff and so when she hit that cliff the wraparound services looked like me reaching out to her family self-sufficiency caseworker and saying hey how do we navigate this how do we keep her from being in a worse situation than she was in before she got that raise and that's something that you can't expect an employer to do but you have to have partnerships with community-based organizations that know how that process works because this is a person that we're talking about that's taking care of a family. We can't expect the employer to do everything, right? We have to have those, those partnerships in place with those people who know how to navigate those resources. And speaking of the benefits, Cliff, you know, that, that one employee of, of East Fort that I mentioned who, you know, got to a certain amount of money that took her off the benefits, Cliff. And so East Fort, funded the benefits cliff calculator that's at just economics of western north carolina so now 
you know, stakeholders, whether it's employers, uh, career service providers, or even, you know, the, the employees can go and visit this benefits cliff calculator and toggle through to see how making a certain amount of money will impact their benefits so that they can better prepare. You know, this gives the, op- the uh, employer an opportunity to see like what's really going on with their uh, their employees and how it impacts the whole family. And if you're a listener and you're interested in learning more about the benefits cliff calculator, you can visit uh, just economics, WNC.org. They also have one in Forsyth County. I don't have the, the website for them, but we we kind of scaled up from what Forsyth County already had. So I definitely want to give Forsyth County their kudos. But East Fork Pottery funded the Benefits Cliff Calculator for Buncombe County. And oh, wow. I have reason I have reason to believe that that came from, you know, the experience that we had with that young lady because it blew East Fork leadership's mind when they was like, oh, my gosh, did this really happen? They didn't warn her. And I'm like, you know, this is it's really a cliff, bro. And and they ended up funded. I mean, that is just such a great example of an employer um, seeing a need and wanting. I mean, that just seems so proactive. And could we just multiply that? I mean, not that we want employers spending all this money to do all these things, but um, I mean, that just gives me hope. Um, thing, if I'm if I'm thinking about things that I want employers to know about this process. Um, I, the reason I mentioned uh, a benefits cliff is is because uh, I want employers also to know that taking on this kind of a mission, um, it's not going to be just 100% success from, from day one. Um, there are lots of happy smiles and success stories in this work, but you also have to go through some, some hard periods and some rough patches to get there. Um, and that's something I think that eSports learned over time is, is you're, you're going to have some stumbling blocks. People are going to hit some of their benefits cliffs. They, they might have a couple weeks where they're scrambling to find new childcare because like Philip said, maybe they lost the voucher and they can't go where they used to go. Um, and their family is going to watch the kid for a couple days and they're going to miss one day of work and it sounds like they're calling off. And it, it, it really pays to, to understand that the, the sequence of events that, that a new employee might be going through um, as they transition into that stable long-term employment that, that you can provide them. Um, not having that lens um, and not having the patience for it and the understanding of, of, of what that transition looks like, um, it would be hard to find success, I think, for an employer to feel that they're getting what they wanted and um, certainly uh, not the support that, that the employees would need. Um, so understanding things like the benefits cliff um, and knowing that um, it takes time to, to create the good relationship and have that success story is great. Uh, and earlier, Philip had mentioned the kind of loyalty that, that can come out of this work. Um, if you bring in the hires and you provide the time and the pathway of support to get to that place of stable employment, what you get on the back end is an incredible amount of loyalty. You get um, employees who um, are very satisfied with their job, who really love the job that they have and have intentions of staying for a long, long time. Um, and that's the place that we're at with, with, with a number of our hires now is we've, we've worked through the kinks. Um, we've, we've learned each other. Um, and uh, we know that everybody's intentions are in the right place. And then that relationship can continue. So um, knowing that there's going to be hard things to get through um, and, and providing the time for it um, 
is really, really key. So that, that's a big one. Um, Philip, the second thing that you had for me was um, having a, having an employee, the, the, the benefits of the partnership, not just being the, the partner sending people to work, but also being available to support during challenging times. Oh, absolutely. So uh, I think Philip used the example of um, we have been working with a different talent partner um, and, um, you know, Philip didn't directly know uh, the individual that I that I was um, hoping to get help with. And uh, the fact that I, as an employer, actually had someone that I could call um, that was willing to pick up the phone, that was willing to listen to me for what were essentially my problems uh, as a manager and as an employer, um, you know, willing to say, hey, come down to my office and we'll, we'll talk it out. Uh, having that kind of a relationship and, and community to do this work is, is really powerful because um, I'm, I'm an engineer with a background in manufacturing. Um, I don't have a background in social services. Um, I don't have a background in counseling. Um, I, and um, I don't have a background in engaging these community products projects. So when I felt that I had somebody I could actually reach out to who um by being busy was, was going to help me out. Uh, it, it really makes these um, hiring processes feel possible um, and like a project that um, you can take on as an employer because um, you're not doing it all by yourself um, in a field that you don't know enough about. So that is uh, critical. And Philip, I would just like to point out that I think what Daniel just described here perfectly is our people strategy. Oh, and so yeah. just as a reminder, those are those kind of Productive partnerships that enable opportunities for policy and programs uh, that lead to engagement or employment or uh, empowerment. And so um, can't stress enough having that partnership. And, um, you know, Philip, you say all the time, like, you can't do everything. We can't do it all by ourselves. You know, we need, we need partners. And so I think that's the beauty and what, what we just um, heard from both of you is, um, you know, having that support, those connectors um, and those, those opportunities really are sort of the secret sauce. And Daniel, I love how you talked about loyalty. And I feel like um, as we continue to compete for talent, um, which I, I don't really love that term, but but we do knew that, you know, like the median time that um, uh, an individual stays with an employer now, it's like we're less than four years on average. Mm -hmm. And so that loyalty is going to be sort of this like premier, um, you know, value that we're trying to achieve. Um, and so it sounds like you've really figured out a way to do that at East Fork Pottery. And so we're so glad you could be with us today. Well, I want to thank both Philip Cooper and Daniel Muno for being with us today. Um, that's all the time that we have. I'm Sarah Hall with the Institute for Emerging Issues, and I can't wait to continue this conversation at the Emerging Issues Forum on February 13th. To register, visit emergingissues.org. Until next time, let's stay connected. This has been a presentation from the Institute for Emerging Issues at North Carolina State University. To learn more, please visit us at emergingissues.org.